we call it the US regulator, but they're kind of the global regulator because a lot of regulators kind of follow their lead. So a lot of what we see in the world um, is driven a lot by kind of cooperation amongst regulators. And and I think it's been fair to say that the regulators globally have been asleep at the wheel over the last, you know, five years or so. Welcome to the Breaking Chains Crypto Podcast. Every fortnight, we delve into the rumor mills, the developments, the industry news behind crypto, DeFi, Web3, and what makes the industry tick. From an insider's perspective on the true secrets and developments of what really makes a difference, how we're coming out of the crypto winter, and how the most exciting coins, tokens, and verticals to emerge from the industry will change the world. Stay tuned for more news from Breaking Chains. Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Chains Crypto episode four. And we've got an exciting show ahead of us today. Uh, usually we've got Reese and he's still here and Arjit is still here. And yet today we have two special guests, uh, Risha and Harsh, the founders of the Push Protocol. So we should be uh, having some good conversation around uh, around that. Uh, so Reese, what's, what's new with you? Welcome back to the show. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Uh, lots going on, uh, particularly, I guess, more so in the Web3 space than our last conversation. We have focused a lot on traditional finance, but Web3's had a lot of drama in the last uh, last fortnight. So we've got a fair bit to cover off today, I think. Ajit, what's new? What's going on? Yeah, how's, no, how's the Middle uh, East? Uh, the Middle East is fantastic. I was in Lisbon last week, actually, for ZK Summit and to meet the guys over at Fuel. A uh, few labs, uh, you know, lots of cool things getting built in this industry beyond the Ethereum virtual machine. So really excited about where Ethereum is going and where blockchain is going. Hey, Ajit, I heard a rumor that there was no knowledge of that conference. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I sat there and this is the first time in, I think, years that I have actually listened to people talk at the conference because, you know, you go to one of these blockchain conferences and they all say the same same things like, you know, financial inclusion, mass adoption, decentralization. So after a while, you get bored of it, right? And you're like, yeah, I know what you're going to say. I, I've seen your stuff on Twitter. Whereas with ZK Summit, it's like, you know, you don't understand anything anyway. It's like, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That math. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like, are, are you trying to impress me, bro? So, you know, I mean... Uh, so yeah, I didn't understand most of it, but it was really nice to listen to and try to guess where the world is headed. It's really cool. There's a lot of cool shit being built over there. But basically, a room full of zero knowledge. Which That's is uh, most of it. I mean, there were some like you know, so, you know, like normies go to this uh, blockchain conferences, and most of the things just pass over our heads. Is that a pejorative, normies? Uh, no, no, I was a normie at the ZK summit. So, you know, it was kind of, I think, you know, normies are required. So part of the, so my challenge to all the ZK guys is, you know, if you can explain it to someone like me, then you're winning, bro. If you can't explain it to someone like me, then you're still in research mode. Now, I have a personal question for you, Ajit, since last week's show. Um, have you changed clothes? Uh, you're wearing the same t-shirt. No, I mean, I did take a shower, but I didn't know. Well, you didn't need to know. This is too much information. That's why I went to ZK Summit, you know, so I don't have to share what I don't want to share. So anyways, that's ZK, bro. So anyways, um, moving on very swiftly from that topic. So I'm still wearing the Peloton shirt because, you know, I get a referral bonus. You know, it's uh, every time somebody buys a Peloton bike from my referral code. It's like being crypto influencer, right? Like Zach XBT re- released this file of... Uh, 
lots of crypto and in, crypto influencers and and the rates that some of the brokers were charging for them so i'm sort of thinking of joining that gang and you know starting to to become an influencer now on that note so you know the, the, we have uh, the push protocol founders so i'm very close to the push protocol i'm an investor an advisor uh, and also you know richa the co-founder uh, is from my hometown so i'm going to shell this stuff really hard uh, uh you know on, on on the show so please please you know uh, yeah t- listen carefully it's a, a great segue trust. to you Risha. that's a great way <laughs> to you Risha. uh how are you talk to us tell us about about yourself and and uh, introduce yourself yeah hey hey guys hey lucas uh, uh and hey everyone uh so i'm richa i'm one of the co-founders at push protocol uh i also lead marketing at push so i'm uh, very excited uh thanks ajit and thank you everyone for having us on uh so what do we do push is building the communication protocol for web3 so basically uh using our protocol any web3 service smart contract app they can communicate to user and when i say user i mean wallet addresses so uh that can be through notification through messaging group messaging and we have a few very exciting features that we probably also want to drop some alpha around uh while we chat today so yeah that's just a tldr on who i am and what we do uh harsh you want to go next sure so i think we took over everything but uh, hey everyone gm gm i'm harsh uh, uh founder and project lead at push protocol Yes, as Richa mentioned, Push Protocol is the de facto communication protocol for Web3. Uh, we we thought that this thing is missing, like communication in basic was missing from Web3 when we started, which was back in 2020. And the solution was to give all the communication tools to Web3 so that uh, users of Web3 can finally interact with their protocol. And uh, yeah, from then to now, we have powered over uh, 30 million notifications to over 500 plus integrations uh, and delivered those uh, notifications and messaging to over 80,000 subscribers. Uh, Some of the protocols uh, that we power notification and communication for our Uniswap, uh, uh, Gitcoin, Lens, uh, Aave, uh, Polygon, uh, Decentraland, and so much more. Uh, and yeah, excited to be here. Great to have you. Um, so we we like to take a more lighthearted look at look at the industry on on this show. Um, don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, so it'd be really good to uh, get some of the. Uh, the, the the stories along the way that you you've come across and 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 think about that that's kind of amusing little anecdotes that that we wouldn't be aware of. I mean, if if either of you have some sort of interesting takes over the last 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 twelve months, would be quite interesting for us because obviously we've been through quite a a, a reckoning in the industry and 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 lots has happened. So you've been building for a while, right? I think you guys are. Yeah seen at a lot of uh, ethereum community conferences and i quite routinely troll you guys for that so uh, you know so so how did you get started harsh uh, how did you get into this you know push notification thing and why is it such a big deal sure so uh I mean, we got started from Eat Global 2020. Uh, we were hackers at uh, Hackmoney uh, back then. Uh, how did we get started? We essentially wrote uh, the idea that we had about uh, notifications and messaging and how to do it uh, for Web3. 
uh, we wrote it to Ethereum Foundation. Ethereum Foundation basically replied that we cannot fund ideas, so you have to build something out. And here's this link. Uh, ETH Global is something that you can probably uh, build this thing out in case you are interested. So we went over there. We built that out. Uh, uh, fortunately for us, no one had done it before. So we got uh, a lot of traction in terms of community and in terms of uh, Web3 mentors shilling that product out. And uh, yeah, that, that was how Push got started. Uh, why it was started? Well, uh, we just looked at Web2 and we realized that everything relies on communication, right? Uh, whenever we are uh, on Web2 or whatever app we are using, uh, they basically send uh, you notifications or chats uh, telling you to come back to them. And we realized that this type of re-engagement hook to make sure that the customer leaves is required uh, on okay, to make so, sure that the customer doesn't. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so I, have, I have some jokes there, right? So, so push yeah. notifications are very annoying, right? I mean, I get a whole bunch yes. of these. I, I, there was a time when I used to get emails every time I tweeted. Uh, and, you know, I get these pop-ups from Twitter, which make it very hard to work, especially, you know, in a bull market, that's fine because, you know, you don't have to really work. But in bear market, it's it's painful. So exactly like you that. need to work. So, so yeah, exactly. So, I mean, do you really want exactly this? Exactly like that. We wanted to the... annoy people. <laughs> <laughs> but I can choose, right? So, I think the difference is that I can yes. choose what I choose to get annoyed by. So, so, so tell, tell us yeah. more about that. What's the privacy aspect of this? And so, the need for what we build actually came from a problem problem we faced like in our personal sort of experience when we got liquidated on our DeFi protocol and uh, it just happened overnight we didn't have receive any communication and that's when we started like pondering on the idea that you know like if you were using a traditional bank you they would annoy you with like you know by sending you messages yeah. notification and so on but like here we are talking about trillion dollar industry and then there is no sense of uh, you know, nudge to the user, mm -hmm. to the customer mm -hmm. that something's going to happen. And that's when like we really started like uh, on the weekend, started like poking around the idea of push and push notifications. Annoy is a emotion, right? You get annoyed when someone sells you Peloton. But you don't get annoyed uh, if someone says okay. that your Bitcoin is uh, uh, reaching to a particular level or your DeFi loan can be liquidated unless you do something or yeah. if a governance proposal is out and you want to reply. Or, you know, if you're talking to friends and, you know, whatever messaging thing you're using, you will still notify. So those times I'll probably not be annoyed. And that is what push chat and push notification is for. Uh, of course, if some influencer is pinging me to basically uh, uh, invest in them, then I'll be annoyed. And that's why. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think you guys the, the advisory tokens for a year. So I'm sure that must have been annoying. But anyways, uh, it's a too many private jokes. So it, uh, No, anyways. you deserve it. <laughs> Yeah. I deserve to annoy you people. Yes. Anyways, uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, so 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 I think see push notifications are obviously very important part of user experience, right? And then there is the privacy and choice part of that. But then you guys pivoted to Web three social effectively, right? I think with this chat thing and what led to that. Sure. So I mean, Web three social was something which uh, was already there, like in 
in the white paper we wrote about it that chat and uh, video and streaming and so many things are in communication which we use in webflow right we we are basically using video call right now and before that before coming to this we were chatting about it and telegram was sending me notification when we were chatting about it so all of these things are basic primitives but everything relied on notification so that's why you had to build notification uh, as a primitive and only then you could move to chat or video or streaming or something else so that that was the reason i mean we already wrote that uh, even when we started that look notification needs to be made after that we can do chat because now you will have a re-engagement tool and web3 social will probably benefit the most out of it because whatever we are using right we are using twitter twitter will notify us like these are your likes these are your replies so that you can come back and once you come back then only you chat on your dms or engage with people so both of them are very important tools uh notification and chatbot and that's why after notification we went for chat so i have a fundamental question why do we need to put this stuff on the blockchain right as in so so let's say I'm, I'm you know you never there was this whole discussion in bull market and solana guys were talking about tinder on the blockchain and like, yeah right you know so yeah you oh yeah you know i went went out on a date and yeah you know there was like a thousand solana paid for that i mean that's the last thing you want on a Ajay, blockchain so, so there's some things you don't want to record of my friend <laughs> okay i think that's okay. at the top of my list <laughs> so i, I think i'd love know, to i'd love whole... to fit in the discussion i'd love to finish the discussion that's <laughs> yeah, gonna be go a ahead, really good idea to have get tinder get on on, right. on chain what a great yeah, idea. come on in come on in just get started <laughs> I don't want to do all the talking, so yeah, we can start. <laughs> Go ahead. Cool. You can so, take this so much further. Um, I, 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 I got the point. So, in essence, like chat and notifications, they support on-chain and off-chain things, but that doesn't mean that they are on-chain, right? Uh, they are basically encrypted. They are basically privacy preserved. And they are essentially stored off-chain itself. But any on-chain protocol can also interact as well as off-chain protocol. Uh, in terms of your tender and tender saving your history and that being available to all the public, of course, that's not what you want. And that's why chat is completely encrypted end-to-end. -end. Uh, but yeah, in case you are on Twitter and you really hooked up with a girl that you like and you want to continue the conversation again, yeah, you will probably want that like chat. 20 years, but I'm sure Lucas and Riz might consider this. So go yeah. ahead. Uh, yeah. So so what do you think about that, Lucas? I think I think with all technology, you basically got to try everything and see what sticks. I think ultimately, you know, um, it's one of those those industries. And I, I started in this industry back in in ninety ninety five in in Web one point and being an undergrad at university, and and we didn't know what would work. I mean, we were scripting in Perl, you know. Um, HTML 1.0 was was extremely basic, and you were competing with the likes of you know CompuServe, AOL, Microsoft Network, and you know ultimately there was a huge battle being taken place for kind of internet real estate. Um, what I find quite interesting when people talk about the Solana situation and, and Tinder, actually the biggest pioneers of tech is actually the porn industry, believe it or not, and it, it was actually that industry that drove the the tech in in Web 1.0, Web 2.0, and some of the things that we we we, we got in in DVD and video, etc., is all pretty much driven by you know an industry that has a no holds barred attitude to to tech and let's yeah, say well it, this could work, it, this could work. Yeah, it's either and, and porn so, or gaming, right? Then social came yeah. a bit later. Yeah, yeah, and then and then so and and it's actually 
quite an interesting interesting topic because where we where we where we end up is the people that actually test and mess around and 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 find out does this work does that work does this get traction i mean that's the whole definition of what viral is right something goes viral generally by accident i guess we we try yeah. to make that happen now but but ultimately um i i think that you know if i go back to web 1.0 days of you know 98 trying to try and develop push protocols then like how do we do push notifications uh, i was at barclays at the time building what became barks um which is the big one of the biggest uh, fx trading platforms in the world now um how do we let users know that their transaction has happened how do we let um users know that their their stops have been filled or their stops have been hit things like that and instead of them having to refresh a page how do we push that notification out to them and you know we were we were dealing with you know a very nascent technology then and trying to make things work you know java was extremely extremely clunky at the time you know javascript is still a, a massive security problem um and we didn't have a lot to work with right and so what i would say is you know web 3.0 i've always said this is is a trusted network that that um requires uh untrusted protocols or tr un untr uh, trustless protocols on it uh has the encryption has the zero knowledge etc but without um ability for for messaging like the messaging piece um it doesn't really work it, people don't move from web 2 to web 3 if there isn't a messaging protocol if there isn't a push protocol right you don't uh you need to bring everything that is before with you and if you don't then you're going to have legacy and the only way you really evolve into into a new into a new platform is to actually bring everything with it and 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 obviously we've started to see that with gaming we've started to see that with you know the the uh the social media services and, yeah. and the amount of money they're throwing into this this stuff and the most simplest thing is how do you deliver messaging and and it's good to hear that you know you guys sort of stumbled across this and said okay well, we're going to build it i mean that's so what you have to do right build it yeah so Hertz and, awesome. Richard, and yes, just, that, no, just yes, to be clear we haven't paid any tokens to lucas over here oh uh, yeah that's i think he's one of the two people yes. who haven't got any of the yes so there is there i think i think I, someone was then impersonating you on telegram because i just got a load of like airdrop <laughs> <laughs> I, I think i think you know we should start a podcast like you know bankless where we get to farm tokens from all the hosts sorry all the guests we invite i'm not saying that's uh, what some of the podcasts do but we should try and do that you know like uh, hey Harshan, it's just a bit of an nice ending that anyway moving on swiftly from that uh, it's, a, it's like just a quick note there ajit like the the underlying principle of like push protocol is like the web 2 thing that's missing is proactive versus reactive engagement and that's what you guys are bringing to web 3 and i think that's super important in order to that's the the underlying fundamental concept right is to bring people into the ecosystem through push notifications instead of uh, expecting them to go in proactively and um, ad address something on chain without the notification. Oh. It's like, that's a, a big fundamental change in mindset from Web 2 to Web 3. And that particular bridge is something we are researching heavily um, at YieldApp and YieldApp Labs around that conversion. So I think that ties in really well into this conversation of the yeah. Web 2 to Web 3 conversion. Um, Ajit, if you want to kick that off, that's yeah, yeah. A, so a I, good I think topic. I think we can just announce a partnership between Push and Yield.app. Nice, nice product placement there is. So, so Harsh and Richa, where are you seeing adoption? As in, where is the volume traffic? uh you know uh, coming from so you know i mean every startup is in the business of as you know lucas said like fafo right fucking around and finding out so you do a bunch of experiments uh, you know uh, most things in this space are experiments so where are you seeing users adoption traffic uh data all the good stuff 
Yeah, I think uh, just like, for example, like lens uh, notifications, I think one of the top, like on Polygon, there's the massive volume for notifications for lens. I think other than that, we're seeing massive traction for DAOs, where you see a lot of proposals that that come in and they just get lost in the noise on Discord mm-hmm. and like Telegram. But you want to be notified about a new proposal for voters to go and vote on your wallet address. So I think DAOs, DeFi, especially around the loan liquidations. Uh, those are, I think, really valuable notifications. Other than that, we're also seeing a lot of Web2 uh, like companies, even media, for example, Coindesk. They are one of our uh, partners and they uh, you know, send like a lot of notifications that people like to opt into. Um, Harsh, anything else that comes to mind for you? Sure. I mean, yeah, for notifications, it's a covered it all uh, well. Uh, for chats, we are... Seeing significant traction in whatever thing social is, like for example, DAO, or even for Web3 social in that matter of fact. Uh, but yeah, uh, chat, uh, in terms of chat, we are seeing adoption in DAOs because now chats are, and you are able to token gate the chat. Uh, that means that DAOs can token gate or NFT gate, whatever wait, wait. chat so, they want. So, so I only get to chat with you if I have push in my wallet. So yes. I have to buy push tokens yes. to. Oh, wow. Okay. That's pretty clever. Yes. <laughs> Can I be I can arbitrate any conversation. Sorry, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Does this also work with NFTs? <laughs> As in if I, yes. I can only chat with you if I have a board ape and so yeah. Yes. Okay, that's that's cool. I can see the point of that. So I can only give you my seed phrase if I only if I also have a have a board ape, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. it only works though if you send one board ape to me and then I'll send you two back. And I'm sending you the whole seed phrase. So I'm just kidding. Go away, yeah. Anyway, so going from the, you know, so back to the topic, which is Web 2 to Web 3. So, I mean, there is Web 2, right? So, Web 2 is you know, Chris Dixon, uh, the, you know, the general partner at A16Z, wrote a very multiple threads about what Web 3 is, you know, I think. It was also, and he talked about, you know, web one is read only. Yeah, you just have a website and you can read what's on there. It's one way content. And, uh, you know, web two is read, right? As in you can do e-commerce, you can do, you know, you can, I mean, chat, you can do a bunch of things. Uh, then uh, then web three is read, write and own, right? So where we are essentially, and blockchain facilitates the ownership of digital objects because it creates uniqueness and it, assi- it assigns all these digital objects you know, where you essentially have a hash or content address on the blockchain to something else, right? So uh, so, so Web3 allows you ownership. Now, that's Chris Dixon's theory. Originally, you know, if you talk to Yanni and Gavin, I think they were far more focused on decentralization, censorship resistance, and, uh, you know, credible neutrality. So obviously that's a little bit of a hard sell in the venture world. I think in the venture world, you care a lot more more about the commercial side of Web3 as opposed to the philosophical and decentralized, you know, the censorship resistant, the revolutionary cypherpunk side of Web3, but, you know, we'll take that, I think. Uh, so, so, so now we have, you know, uh, we are in a strange world where you have Web1, we have Web2, we have Web3, and we have this strange thing called Web2.5, right? Where a very large centralized corporation uh, like OpenSea, for example, is essentially using decentralized infrastructure like blockchains to buy and for right. users to buy and sell things. And that's what some people call Web 2.5. So I still think that's Web 2.0 and just being lazy and just trying to make yourself seem better. Well, there is a database where you know you can own things outside of uh, you know OpenSea's database, right? So it's a little, it's a little bit different from Roblox because you can take that NFT out 
from NF OpenSea's platform and sell it somewhere else or use it somewhere else. So it's a little bit more than Web2. Uh, so Harsh and Richa, what's your philosophy? Where do you see this going? How have you seen this evolve? And you know, how does Push fit into, and some of the work you're doing around Web3 social fit into that? Sure. So uh, that's a, maybe I can take this because I've been talking about it constantly. So I mean, Web1, 2, 3, uh, uh, that that philosophy is right, but here's what I look into it. All of these are uh, essentially innovations over tech. Web one was basically read only, or Web one was like all of us will go to some site, and that site will basically respond with the same content. So unidirectional content or one way link. Web one, uh, Web two basically made sure that. We as human beings, we are different. So wherever we are going, we see different content. So I log into Twitter, Twitter will show me different content as opposed to Ajit logging to Twitter or Lucas logging to Twitter. Uh, that was the innovation side of Web2. When it came to Web3, Web3 basically said that, yes, this innovation is needed. But after that, we also need to make sure that uh all the profit or all the incentivization doesn't flow only to the company. And instead of that, whoever is using a particular product, that profit flows to them or that incentivization flows to them, which is essentially Web3, which is also decentralization because instead of you interacting with a Web2 software or a server or a company, you are the company. If you believe in something, you just run that software. And because you are running that software, whatever that software is earning, a part of it belongs to you. No matter you look at Bitcoin, Ethereum, any Web3 product, it's almost the same thing in different ways, whether it's proof of stake, proof of work, whatever. So this is what Web3 does. And this is where the innovation lies. Like Web3 is essentially took what Web2 had, the best part of it, and over there established a creator economy, which essentially is so important for Web3 Social, right? Instead of uh, now you creating the content and companies like Facebook or Twitter generating revenue from that content, whatever content you are creating, you basically generate the revenue of it. No matter whether it's right now or whether it will be in the future, this is the major play of Web3, which is that it's a democracy run by people and that value goes to the people. So yeah, that's that's my one-liner pitch of why Web3 and Web3 Social. Web 2.5, in essence, kind of realized that there's some friction point in Web3 and they want to eliminate it. I don't think that's strong, but I do think that the approaches some Web 2.5 companies will take versus others, that might be wrong or right. That's probably a good segue to talk about our recent um, governance fiascos, maybe in Web3, Harsh, and your perspective on when we talk about uh, democratizing, dis democratizing decision-making, um, Arbitrum governance proposal, um, proposal number one. Oh, Not so democratic was after that all. A proposal? Uh... Ratification. Well, only after the question. Yeah. So. yeah, I think they Maybe got bad so. advice. They got bad advice from their external law firm and probably from the consulting firm that was supposed to write the proposal on their behalf, right? I mean, anyways, Harsh, you go ahead and answer that. I have lots of thoughts on that, but it's your show. Sure. I mean, uh, first of all, I know the Arbitrum team. I, I do think there was some miscommunication and something they kind of thought that. Uh, that's possible, but they are very solid. Like 
just to begin with because i know them and i've met with them yeah. i didn't see any malice uh, over there uh, yeah, in terms of the victim don't fuck up right they're phenomenal in terms of execution they've been at it and until the token launch they didn't get one step wrong which is amazing yeah Yeah. Sorry, so now coming to the proposal and the way it was done, of course, that was not done in a DAO-fied way. And that I agree with. Like They kind of went ahead and they said that this is a DAO and this is how it operates. And then they kind of said that, uh, but this part of the proposal doesn't operate within that framework. And I think now they are starting to correct it, but only because you know people created a lot of pressure. Or maybe they would have corrected it. We will not know about that. But yeah, that that is probably not DAO, and that was a Web 2.5 approach, which I generally disagree with. Yeah, you know what? If if uh, Arbitrum had uh, uh, like bought tokens instead of sold them, then I think people wouldn't have complained so much. But I think you know a lot. Everyone was expecting Arbitrum token to go to five dollars, and then they heard that the foundation has already sold ten million. And you know, the, the, so crypto is funny, right? In the sense that there are lots of good things in crypto, but then there is this you know, everyone wants everyone else to sell after them and not before them. So so I think a lot of the overreaction to Ar- Arbitrum's proposal came from the fact that the foundation was tokens and and everyone who got the airdrop it's it's amazing how entitled we are right and crypto we get like free money in terms of all these tokens and then we want to you know no one else to sell before us vcs want to sell before retail retail wants to sell before the team and foundation foundation you know everyone just wants to uh, someone else to be the backholder of last resort so so that's just how it is <laughs> but you know arbitrum i think you know they are they are solid builders but they are princeton professors and you know engineers they're not like optimism right or polygon where you kind of have these very deep web3 native people who've been around the crypto community like harsh and rich are going to all these you know eth events and whatnot for years and you kind of uh, no no i'm i'm actually saying this as a nice thing for a change harsh so <laughs> i love to go to conferences i'm just jealous of other people who do so <laughs> so he's the most well fed he's the most well fed man in crypto i'm just very very salty you know until 2017 he's, he's like all i did was so 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 harsh harsh has actually never left university right because a university used to go to all these events for free food and drink and now Haas is still going to all these events for free food and drink now i go for clothes you know it's it's a good swag i think (laughs) push guys make really good swag everyone should kind of you know nudge them to send some nice pink uh lovely shirts over there uh i go to conferences the peloton conference is still paying off uh the peloton yeah i know i know it just i try to look like younger and fitter uh, so yeah, it's working you know, it's, it's a working. virtue signaling type of thing and you know it's working, yeah, that, those new filters on zoom are amazing oh yeah uh you mean my haircut anyways so so moving on moving moving on moving on moving on uh so so arbitrum right i think uh, the great team they definitely have a law firm which is kind of you know controversial uh, they have some advisors uh, which probably wrote a governance proposal and then the comms team really really screwed up right they they shouldn't have said uh, yeah we just you know what the, it's already done we're just asking you to ratify like rubber stamp it and there's the last thing you're going to get right so anyone who's crypto native and knows how crypto twitter works and how how much people get trolled even for doing good things i mean i, I think it's just because you know arbitrum is a little bit less crypto native as a team uh then let's say optimism polygon and solana so i think the, they got a, a few missteps there but i think they will recover from that yeah so draw so i I, I, I also think yeah 
Does it draw attention so from think, the SEC? Is the I think yeah, you know the SEC question. is a boogeyman. SEC is a boogeyman. I mean boogeyman, boogeyman, whatever you call it. And everyone is getting attention from the SEC, right? I mean if you're if you have this a is token, like waving a red flag, though, right? This is what, a, a, bear, what mean, a bears attack. I know bulls attack red flags. What a, what a bears attack? It's bears. Uh, the, I think the the airdrop was a bigger red flag, right? I mean, if you really want to attract the wrong sort of attention, doing an airdrop and subpoenas and you know these enforcement actions are flying around is a pretty you know brave step. Uh, but you know what are they going to do? I mean, they've been teasing an airdrop. And the traffic and the volume has been building up. Users and community are complaining nonstop. So at some point, they have to go one way or the other, right? So I'm not a legal expert, but you know they had to reward the communities. And now I, I don't think the you know they might have added like 10% or 20% more risk. But is there any token out there that uh, Mr. Gensler isn't watching? I doubt it. They drew it out pretty well, like that. Arbitrum was live. What five? I think my first transactions on Arbitrum were almost uh, like six hundred days old before the airdrop launched. So, like, they got some mileage out of the airdrop tease. I think that's the ultimate alpha play, right? Is tease the yeah. airdrop and just the the volume of builds. It just kept amazing, right? Yeah. And didn't they like their comparison to Optimism? They just blew them out of the water as far as like innovation and DeFi protocol development. Uh, um, they just optimism really struggled to get the kind of same kind of traction. Uh, optimism got support from Curve early and the synthetics guys. Obviously, they built a, a ton on there, but action-wise and innovation is, I think, innovation on L2 is concentrated on Arbitrum at the moment. Mm, some DeFi protocols and you know, like perps and I mean, GMX was most of it. There is a bunch of DeFi protocols that have drawn a lot of traffic. But when you think about you know innovation in a broader context, Optimism are a younger team. You know, they're very young people, Jin and and Carl, and you know they like both are under thirty, right? So they 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 did make a bunch of mistakes early on, but I think they've really really you know become much stronger. They've learned from all of that and become much stronger over a period of time. So if you look at the work they're doing with Coinbase today, right, on the base chain, I mean, we might have different views on that, but I think to get to that point is pretty cool. Then the public goods funding work they've done, retroactive public goods funding to essentially reward people like Zach XBT and get community support. Initially, you know, they made some mistakes, right? They logged out the community of using the Optimism Network and they said, oh, yeah, you know what, if you want, if you're not like our friends or if you're not like one of these Bay Area guys, then you can't really use Optimism to deploy. We're going to do a gated deployment. But then they learned from it, right? So I think they've come a very long way. They've become more global. Uh, they've become very, they're very, they've got a very cool vibe in the community. They're making far fewer mistakes. Whereas, you know, uh, Arbitrum didn't make any mistakes all the way till the token launch. And then the token launch was a was not so great, right? And then then this DAO governance proposal was not so great. So I think Optimism are a crypto native, you know, crew who fuck around and find out, but have improved a lot over a period of time. And Arbitrum are these professional, you know, like grown up guys like Ed and you know, Mr. What's his name? Goldwasser? No, that's Shafi. Sorry. So uh, so so I think that they're grown up people, professors, and that. And then they, you know, they haven't made any mistakes. And finally. They have so 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 a race to your point, right? I think the only reason I, I think uh, there is this whole idea of sufficient decentralization, and that was you know Bill Hinman's argument for why ETH is not a security. So I think uh, all the crypto community should really really signal and protect this idea of decentralization at uh, at every you know, uh, and when you essentially. Tell, tell the community that we've already done it and you know we're just ignoring what you might vote. I think that does to your point 
create a bit of risk, right? Create actually material risk because uh, you know you're saying, look, yeah, we're decentralized, but you know we're a company doing our own thing. So, so there, 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 there is a bit of risk there, but I think it's probably marginal compared to everything else that's going on today. Sorry, Harsh, over, over back to you. Yeah, yeah. So I completely agree. I think uh, I mean token launch and how to launch it and whether you launch it right or not, and even DAO governance. We are very early, and I don't like. Imagine this is a company or this is like a team, like 30 human beings taking a decision or 20 human beings taking a decision. It's not like that they will get everything right. I mean, not even AI can do that. And we feel that AI is really superb in taking the decision or the shared decision. So that's that's a point. Like, uh, I, I do feel that uh, they kind of screwed up uh, with uh, the plan that they had. And... Uh, uh, with the DAO framework they were doing. But I'll probably chalk it up to a mistake that is done by the legal team and no one really thought that, okay, this is the DAO framework is about. And uh, I do feel that they are uh, kind of trying to solve this out, which is a good sign. So look, Arbitrum, you know, great team. So there are a bunch of things that happened last week, right? So Sushi Swap. Sushi, sushi Swap, the router contract uh, got exploited. And... The, the weirdest thing is, you know, now even most crypto native folks like Hasu have to tweet about if there is a site to batch revoke approvals. And that's that's not the path to mass adoption, right? ERC-20 is a standard that Vitalik and what's his name wrote in 2015. Uh, and we still have the same token standard being ubiquitous. I mean, every DeFi protocol is using the same, this crazy token standard in 2023. And and in the meantime, there are Ethereum community people who have tried to fix these security holes, right? So you have David Mihal who wrote ERC-777. And now ERC-20 has such hold on DeFi and everyone is using ERC-20. And the problem is ERC-20 requires this approved thing to you know work around the reentrancy issues in the Ethereum virtual machine. Uh, so, so, I mean, it's how you get, I mean, if crypto native people have to wake up in the middle of the night and revoke you know, uh, approvals, what's what a normie is going to do? I mean, is this how we're going to get DeFi to be used by 7 billion, well, 1 billion people? So I think something needs to happen. Uh, I mean, I can get a push notification, you know, every time yes. there is a... Yeah. I, I, I was about <laughs> to say, get a push, push right? notification, yeah. but then what do I do, right? So, <laughs> so. I think the problem is like from a technical perspective, the problem was uh, uh, not even the approved thing. So approved was designed to just approve the minimum amount that you want to uh, process on chain. But then people realized that this was a UX burden. So people kind of did an infinite approve, uh, which basically made that you don't have to do that transaction again and again whenever you are uh, transacting with someone. And with that, the problem came that if a contract ever gets hacked or exploited, now with the infinite approve, anyone can basically pull all your funds out. Uh, so I kind of uh, agree with you, Ajit, like uh, a new token standard might solve it. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I do feel like uh, the things that Uniswap uh, V3 has done, wherein you just approve whatever you want to swap, uh, that might uh, might be at least a start of a solution. Yeah, the but permit yeah, this, all this, thing, yeah? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, so I think there is a thread that Nico, you know, one of the old Rust devs from the ET ecosystem 2015 onwards has written where he says, you know, Permitol is not so great. It's a hack. It's a workaround. And ERC20 itself is, you know, a workaround for the reentrancy issues. Uh, so, so we need a better token standard. But I think, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I hold a bunch of ETH and, you know, I've been in ETH since 2015. But one thing that annoys me about the whole ETH uh, mindset is that, you know, Everyone is a little bit too comfortable and a bit, you know, it's, it's like a dominant platform. So everyone thinks, yeah, you know, whatever, uh, but no one is going to disrupt us anyway. So yeah, we can continue carry on with, with the stuff that, you know, okay, so sure. It's, we have reentrance issues, but never mind. We have ERC 20, which is a security pain. Never mind. We have some issues in our signature schemes and, you know, how we sign every transaction. Never mind. You know, sure. It's a UX pain, but oh, whatever, we're going to work around it with, you know, account abstraction or whatever. So there is a bit of a, yeah, and you know, I mean, we haven't done a lot for devs, right? So we still have Solidity. Viper hasn't. Viper is better if you talk to the Yarn guys, but it hasn't really gained much traction. So I think what I'm personally very excited about, you know, after the zk summit, is the alt VMs. Uh, so things that are probably going to be more secure and more usable for developers, and will eventually provide a better DevX. Things like you know Polygon, Maiden. Uh, which allows uh, you to compile higher level languages like Sway and, you know, Fuel and all these Rust-based DSLs, uh, far more, you know, which provide developer safety onto Maiden. Then Fuel is very interesting. You know, they're doing a whole bunch of experiments since 2019 uh, to really transform the design of a virtual machine built on L2. And, and the, the thing is, this is all going to be on Ethereum, right? So these yeah. are on, on, so you don't have, a lot of people don't have to worry about their ETH tokens falling because, you know, <laughs> we're still going to be using Ethereum and paying gas fees in Ethereum. So we can move Ethereum forward. And remember... I see uh, we are talking road... about the right things over uh, here. So, yeah, let, let me rant a bit, you know. So when ETH2 roadmap came out, they put like ETH EWASM right at the end. And they said, you know, we're going to work on the token, we're going to work on sharding, but we'll worry about devs last, right? I mean, I think that they're just not right. So ETH, uh, you know, after this uh, Chappella thing uh, in Shanghai, we really need to refocus on, you know, DevX and Dev safety and Dev experience. And I think some of these old PMs like, you know, Maiden, uh, Fuel VM, uh, then the you know, Risk Zero are really starting to drive innovation on the execution layer. And, you know, we can hopefully build far better stuff on the execution layer while also continuing to drive value to the to the wider Ethereum community. So, so I'm personally very excited about that. So, uh, enough ranting. So, Harsh, uh, so what do you think about, uh, what else is keeping you excited in Ethereum? Because you are a very OG ETH community member, uh, right? You and Richa. So Apart what... from token unstaking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think I even have my keys. You know, it's a, it's a, the magic of ETH is that uh, it's it's very clever. So you know, you lock everybody's ETH for three years, then hopefully people don't remember their keys, and ETH becomes even more deflationary. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. And then the, there was this tweet yesterday by some Chinese guy saying. You know, a whole bunch of these key keys stored on Google Cloud and whatnot have been stolen. So you might get your ETH back, you may not get your ETH back, but it's a really big event. The question for you, is this uh, Shanghai folk going to move the price of ETH up or down? By the way, there is only one right answer uh, to be given in public, but what are your real thoughts? <laughs> not a financial advice. <laughs> All right. I, I did some uh, basic number crunching like uh, for the different Twitter spaces. So uh, 
because eat unstaking it's kind of time log so you cannot uh, unstake all the eat at once so even if people want to unstake all the eat uh, it will take everyone two years uh, before those unstaking can happen and even then we'll be left with 100000 validator nodes so the security uh, point of aspect like eat got it right it will not really affect it out now let's assume that everyone starts selling and again not a financial advice because my math can be way off but with the math that uh, i did it will only affect 1% of the daily token volume even if everyone wants to sell it out so 1% of daily token volume for eth is nothing so i don't think uh, it will hamper the price that much in fact i think the price might go up just because uh, you have liquidity staking growth you can stake and stake at your will now yeah that's always the right answer when you're talking about eth the community demands that you always say nice things especially when you're talking about tokenomics and pricing we so, were you know, epfs to begin with there was a theory i know you guys were ethereum push notification <laughs> service so what uh, now uh, because now you're doing l2s also is that why you're push and not epns you're like yes so we we are, we are doing l2s we are doing non evms we will also uh, support which, uh, which other ones? blockchains in the future oh, uh, no. that, yes <laughs> so that's he why is not ethereum, yeah no no ethereum is something that we started with and we are always going to be on we are just going to bring this innovation to other blockchains yeah so yeah I, I think that's that's clever right because metamask i think dan finlay tweeted yesterday that metamask will be supporting cosmos in the near future and they already support near so i think there's a you know eth feels eth community feels a lot more self assured now uh, right and a bit more confident that yeah we don't have to worry about the number go down if we connect with other chains which is a really healthy development in the culture of eth so far you know there was always this eth versus other things i think there is still some vibe with some of the other chains but i think now you know the eth core eth tooling like you guys and metamask uh, starting to support other chains is a very healthy uh, yeah. know, outcome for the eth community and it's it's also based on the web3 ux like aligning ourselves to web3 ux so just think about it a human being controls all the wallets of web3 right and chances are that you will probably be on ethereum and on polygon and maybe even other blockchains as well you might be on bitcoin also and all of these wallet addresses they just connect to one human being so all the communication should flow through the human being instead of just one wallet address so that was the idea even even when we started that was the idea and uh, that was one of the reason we changed from ethereum push notification service to just push mm-hmm. because we were going to support other chains so ethereum then meet that much sense uh, especially from a dev devx point of view where they come and they see ethereum and let's say they are on polygon so they kind of feel that okay this just supports the l1 so that's why we had to get rid of ethereum then push notification service service didn't make sense because this is a protocol it's notification a protocol. didn't make sense yeah because it's a, a notification plus chat. chat plus video yeah. and so on and so more so because of that everything had to go so all we left for this uh, all all we were left with was push and fortunately for us push.org was available so that kind of made sure that we <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, so the other news that's going around uh, this week you know uh, is so first of all 
Uh, good news is Mr. Gensler has been very quiet. There has been no enforcement action in a whole week. You know, the, uh, remarkable, right? Was there not to like? And uh, then I think the narrative that uh, you guys are very close to Balaji. So if you see him in Tokyo, you know, sorry, I've been trolling a bit, a bit on Twitter. Uh, and he blogged me back in 2016 because I, I am not friend. going to talk anything about <laughs> Balaji, by the way. <laughs> so, so I, <laughs> yeah, I, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. The, the $1 million bet is kind of going away, right? Because banks aren't failing anymore. So life is good. Oh, no, not so good. I think Balaji is. So I think Balaji is smarter than the $1 million bet. I think there was a lot of things in action. And this is just uh, me thinking a few things out. Like imagine with this $1 million bet with US uh, coming out with CBDC in June. Imagine this $1 million bet got 20 or 30% of US households to hold Bitcoin. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes extremely... uh, uh, it becomes extremely tough for U.S. government to ban Bitcoin outright because they might be voted out. So that is one sort of thing I think that he wanted to do. Of course, and I'm not. Uh, I'm just hypo. Uh, I'm just imagining things over here. But yeah. Uh, He's one of your first investors and advisors, so you should be very careful here. Uh, So, Lucas, uh, regulation, right? So, uh, Bittrex shut down. It's one of my favorite topics. Yeah, Bittrex shut down, you know. I I, I love it. In the US. So, for me, it's really, really simple, right? The, The US regulator has been, well... We call it the US regulator, but they're kind of the global regulator because a lot of regulators kind of follow their lead. So a lot of what we see in the world um, is driven a lot by kind of um, cooperation amongst regulators. And and I think it's been fair to say that the regulators globally have been asleep at the wheel um, over the last, you know, five years or so, I think. Uh, the lack of direction, the lack of clarity around regulations, the lack of... Um, you know, real clear direction of where where the industry is should be going from a regulatory perspective has has been lacking. And and to be fair, when when Gensler was appointed to 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 be the chair of the SEC, I thought, given his background at MIT as someone that that taught taught the the crypto course in in on the MBA program or the Bitcoin course, that he would be the person that kind of pioneered regulation globally. And and I think we can all agree that that never happened. Um, and I guess he's been left with a lot of egg on his face. Uh, and and now the SEC is now being forced to kind of step in and say, okay, we're going to regulate all these things that we should have regulated and stopped ages ago. The problem they've got is that if if you're dealing with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and, and other tokens or coins that aren't securities, the SEC has no place in this, in this debate. And everyone says, oh, the SEC this, the SEC that. But the minute you don't have a security and Bitcoin and Ethereum have been labeled as not securities, it's not the SEC's problem. Why should they care? Why do we keep talking about Gensler and Bitcoin and Ethereum when it is the Securities and Exchange Commission? It is not the Commodities and Futures uh, Trading Commission, right? And and so really, we should be looking at the CFTC to come in and, and provide regulation on coins. And the SEC should come in and provide regulation around exchanges and transactions and things like that. But ultimately, um, we've got to find a balance somewhere. And so whilst this bun fight between the CFTC and SEC has been going on, you know, Rome is burning. And and I really think that having that clarity around uh, what should be allowed, what shouldn't be allowed, and 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 Coinbase, right? And I I've got to feel pretty pretty uh sorry for for for, for Mr. Armstrong because 
Because ultimately, they've tried to do everything right. I mean, Coinbase has tried to be whiter than white. They've done all the regulation. They've been listed. They've done everything they possibly can. And yet, here we are, still Coinbase sort of backs against the wall, uh, finds out the next hour oh, we've got a Wells notice. We've done this. We can't do that. And and ultimately, they're, they're being competed out of the marketplace. Here you have, you know, Binance, you know, the 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 elephant in the room saying, "Hey, we're going to do all of this. We're not going to have an office location. We're going to do anything, and we're going to do we're going to do whatever we like, and we are untouchable." And I love that that kind of attitude. And Coinbase has gone completely the opposite and said, "Well, we're going to do we're going to try and fit into the existing rules and regulation and ecosystem, and we're going to be you know the trusted party." And it hasn't worked out very well for them. It hasn't. And and I think that it's extremely uh, naive. If, if if I might use that word about a regulator, because maybe that's not the best word to use, that it, it's okay. And obviously, we've seen you know what's happened with Sushi Swap. We've seen what's happened with um, all a lot of actions that have happened over the last yeah. you know, not just month, but but months. And 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 all we end up with is you know a situation where we got the BX exchange shut down. We've got um, you know as I said, the Wells notice of from from on Coinbase, um, Paxful. Um, suspends operations. I mean, ultimately, it's just uh, taking out players in the industry, and I don't think that's helpful. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, let's, so let's, you guys live in Dubai, right? So. Yes. So what's... <laughs> <laughs> we just met three weeks back, but okay. <laughs> so, so, so Dubai is not known to host. Uh, you know, Dubai is known to host some very interesting people, and but now we're seeing a lot of good, you know, founders, product builders like yourself, and uh, so, so what's your experience of? Uh, you're kind of working as a crypto founder in Dubai and uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's the biggest uh, crypto city of India, right? Uh, because there's so many... Uh, uh, I thought Indian that was Indian Singapore. Yeah, uh, No, it was Singapore. <laughs> That was Singapore a while back. Now a while ago. Dubai. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. But coming to SEC and uh, CFTC, like they themselves are not aligned to what is security and what is commodity, right? CFTC uh, says that Bitcoin and Ethereum are commodities and SEC basically said that Ethereum might be a security. So there is a lot of confusion that's going on between them as well. And coming to Coinbase, yes, I do feel bad for them because all these staking information, all the staking program that they did, they basically asked uh, SEC, like, tell us what's the proper procedure. And after a while, you know, SEC sending them Wells notice. Well, that just seems like that just seems like a crypto pro- protocol playing dirty. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and just to add to what Harsh is saying, I remember like last year in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, Coinbase had done a big launch of their Coinbase app in India. I think it was a payment trail that they used using the UPI uh, payment rails, which is like the India payment gateway. And right, I think we were there for the launch and right the day after it got shut down. Uh, it's just like the confusion around what is right and what can be used and what is authorized uh, wasn't there. So yeah, I mean, for Coinbase, I think it's just, I don't know, sometimes it's just like bad luck that I think a lot of innovation that they're bringing in the ecosystem is, uh, you know, does not get its due credit. I wouldn't really say that Coinbase is an innovator. I think that that's a a very, very um, nice way of describing them. I think they've tried to do what's tried and tested well. I think they've tried to be kind of the safe haven um, that people trust 
And, you know, I, I remember when, you know, CZ took a shot at them over the, the, the Gen- Gen- uh, Genesis trading and um, Grayscale Trust. And they said, oh, you don't have enough Bitcoin on hand and put it on Twitter. And, and the Coinbase share price just dropped instantly. And then uh, Brian came out and said, hey, well, I don't know which wallet you're looking at, but this is the wallet and this is all the coins that we need. And um, ultimately where we end up is, you know, CZ's out there trolling the world and, and causing maximum damage without any repercussions. I mean, for me, the minute he came out and said, oh, by the way, I don't think uh, Coinbase has the, the the Bitcoin to support Grayscale, it's Grayscale's position, and the share, that's securities manipulation. And the SEC should have just picked him up and said, by the way, that that is that is that is a um against the law. And by the way, we we've got you now. And that's what I think should have happened. I really do. I think that, you know, if I did that in my role as a trader at, at, at one of the banks I've worked at, I would have been completely taken out and 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 that would have been the end of my career. And I do feel that Coinbase is is always on the receiving end of a a problem uh, yeah. that's kind of manufactured by someone else. Yeah, they're, they're a US listed company, right? So they chose to go the IPA, IPO route. Uh, they could have done a token launch like some of their, uh, and, and taken legal risk that way. But they chose to be a listed company. So they're obviously, you know, they're significantly influenced by what happens over at the SEC because the SEC is the regulator that governs the behavior of listed companies in the United States. Now, the, the weirdest part of all this is that, you know, you know, when Coinbase filed for a registration of their shares, the SEC approved all of those activities. They said, you know, yeah, it's taking, fine. Uh, yeah, you list these coins. Yeah, sure, fine. Uh, you know, so they essentially approved. Now, uh, the counterpoint is that, you know, it's not the SEC's uh, role historically to go through all of the 30,000 coins on CoinGecko and then say, yeah, this is not a security. That That's not a security. You know, they don't have the resources, manpower, and so on and so forth. To, to Let's be honest, right? They yeah. could easily just say, right, we're going to just wipe out 29 of those 30,000 coins and say, do you know what? This is just completely unnecessary. And what's the it's not that stuff. easy. So remember, US is the rule of lawyer, not the rule of law. And what happens is, you know, most of the times it's a fight for jurisdiction. So some things will be offshore, some things will claim they are commodities, some things will claim they are, you know, like payment instruments. So, 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 I mean, it's it's not like you know China where you can just ban crypto and then you know kind of allow it slowly. Well, uh, well, I don't think it's US, possible to ban to crypto full stop, right? Court. I mean, I mean, no, I, I think I don't think it's possible to ban crypto full stop. Right? I remember back in the in the Web 1.0 days of the Wild West, you know, the um, the there were so many different angles from from U.S. regulators and government that were trying to shut down things, etc. Um, obviously, all of a sudden, stuff that shouldn't be seen by miners was a bit, a, able to be seen by miners, things like that. Um, you know, and there was a big um, activist group of people on, on the internet at the time that were desperately trying to preserve the integrity of the, of, of, of the internet as, as we see it today. I mean, don't forget that uh, Phil Zimmerman and Hal Finney were doing PGP, right? And that was against yeah. the law uh, with export encryption, right. et cetera, in place. Yeah. Um, Hal Finney, obviously, of, of Satoshi fame, um, for those that didn't know. Um, and then and then we end up in a, in a world where we are now and we're having the same battles, right? Yeah, Ultimately, so it's a battle, a battle for control. In, in right? and the battle for control to, is, is yeah. there. Innovators do have to push the boundary, right? The question is, 
what boundaries are you pushing? And then when you do that, you take a risk. And when you take a risk, then sometimes it goes, you know, depending on your timing, sometimes it goes against you. So so in, in any case, I think, you know, Coinbase, NetNet have spent a lot of money and effort on building a compliance team and lots of different tools and processes within there. They've been kind of the, you know, best behaved, one of the best behaved platforms in the industry. So they do deserve the support as much as possible from the industry. But anyways, uh, so, so Harsh and Richard, uh, uh, I mean, I think Ajit, I think there's like I just a point that Richard was making earlier that I think on the subject of regulation is a good one to tap on, just based on a few things that she said there, uh, particularly around the Indian market uh, and the regulation going on there. Um, I'd like yeah. to get some perspective on the Indian the ca- citizens, current right? So how is it of, living in? How is it being a crypto entrepreneur from India? It's interesting. Uh, uh, tell us more. <laughs> Be careful, oh, but tell us more. Well, so I think it's like the like the I think everyone sees like the yeah. the big benefit of the unbanked thing, right? And like we yeah. can provide a, a like a banking system here through DeFi to a, a market that is yeah. um, so has a large unbanked amount. So yeah. what what is that like at the moment? Like historically, yeah, yeah we want to hear from the we want to hear from know, the like, Indian guys, right? So I'm now I have a British passport, so I get to play both ways. <laughs> Arshan, Richard, what's your what's your Very story? Smart. So what, yeah. <laughs> What's your story? Tell us more about being crypto founders from India. So, I mean, uh, there's no story per se, like crypto founders from India. Uh, they start from India. Like, this is the usual curve right now. They start from India. There's an idea that they want to perform. And uh, if the idea performs well, then they are looking for raising and then they are looking for funding. And basically, at that point, they are sort of successful protocol at that point of time they basically try to talk to legal and they basically try to see like what's the best way to set up a company and how you can do it right and the legal basically recommends that because indians uh india doesn't have legal uh regulations right now it's very uncertain whether they are pro or whether or not they are pro the legal just basically tells them that you have a choice that you can stay in india but you probably will have to structure the legal form in just the right way and you don't know how to do it so later on you might have to produce a lot of documents uh just because you were doing things right or you have the option to basically move to Dubai or Singapore and basically structure the company over there because the legal uh, regulatory framework over there is much more uh, better. So either you can choose to move uh, over to these countries or you can choose to operate from India. There's nothing wrong in that. But at a later point of time, when the regulations come in, if you're in India, just be prepared that you might focus some uh, of your efforts right. over here. And yeah, that yeah. basically makes uh, or solves a problem for all the Indian founders because they want to focus on the protocol and on the startup. That's crypto right. is really, really and, and taxes successful. are crazy in India, yeah. right? Crypto taxes yeah. because they don't let you net profits and losses. So, so if you're an active kind of trader or anything, then you might end up with a tax bill that's completely uh, unfair. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. even it's not about taxes. I've met people who who are basically I know, completely fine in paying taxes. In India. That's yeah. Yeah, but I mean, what are those ta- taxes? You don't even know, oh, right? Know. So then it, yeah, then it makes so much sense to move to Dubai at least for the time being, yeah. uh, so that you basically are not spending your energy in the legal framework. You are spending your energy in Building. innovation. That's right. So, yeah. Now, so to, to be fair to Indian authorities, right? Sorry, Rich, uh, Richa, you were saying something. 
Uh, no, I was just adding to what Harsh was saying that just in like we are o- over billion people, right, in India, and then a lot of our like a lot of young and most of India is like a very young India right now. A lot of them are focused on engineering, medical. So mm-hmm. we do see like the potential which is there in the India in the India ecosystem, and now with Web three and like crypto, I think it's the first time like in the last decade that we are able to see people. Come up with ideas, build a basic POC, work with those ideas, reach out to, you know, uh, Silicon Valley investors, to uh, investors across the globe and raise funding, which was yeah. not an option earlier. That is so true. That, that is very true. Yeah. I think so for, and I think the last few years, it's become more, we've seen more projects, homegrown yeah. projects in India come up and like we have the have like kind of crypto being that enabler, the, the level playing field for a lot of founders to be able to, you know, raise funding, build their project more sustainably and so on. But like, I think with the uncertainty, like I said, around like the regulation and like the taxes and everything, it's just the the big, I mean, with a 10 or 20 important things the founders doing on a day-to-day basis, they're balancing all of that. The uncertainty is an added pressure. So I think that's why a lot of people kind of choose to move out of that high pressure and at least in a, in a place where they can work and focus their energies on the yeah. product, the most important. So it's more like automation, like you can put one thing to automation so you don't have to worry about it. But to Richard's point, like Indian crypto is booming because, and this is something I always say, like India is a country of, from where Arbhat came from. They, he invented zero, right? And For some part of Web2, that country basically transformed to service-oriented country. But now with Web3, what has happened is that we already have the tech knowledge because we were service leaders. And now Web3 provides us uh, opportunities to innovate. And because of that, the crypto... Is uh, crypto ecosystem in India is booming. You get to see so many innovative protocols that are coming from India and that are raising from VCs. But yeah, after that, the next step basically becomes coming to a different country, at least for a temporary point of view, just because you want to automate the legal part and you want to focus on your innovation. Yeah. So one of the things about India in the last bull run was that there were too many celebrities shilling like really horrible stuff. Uh, so, you know, when I talk to the policy folks in the government, they they tell me that, look, you know, a lot of retail people lost a lot of money because of all this, you know, c- celebrity shilling. Now I'm seeing UK and France also create rules, which essentially restrict uh, crypto influencers. Oh, there might be one one day uh, from essentially shilling, you know, coins uh, to, to retail. I think that's that's a good move. Right. So I don't think crypto per se is. I think crypto per se in India requires a lot of support. I think the government might even be open to, you know, if we were to sell it as technology. But then some people go meet the central bank and then they say things like, you know, Bitcoin will replace the Indian rupee and you know, central banks are going to die. And so I think some of this is essentially the crypto community just miscommunicating what this whole, whole thing is about and being a little bit... Now we are seeing a lot of, you know, grown-up policy people, and we should get one of them on this podcast at some time, really having sensible conversations with the government, people like yourself, uh, right? So I think you guys, are, the way you just spoke about this makes, you know, I think some of that experience of being founders, having lived in India will really help kind of, and then you're building stuff that's not purely financial, right? I think one of the things that the government's asked for, especially the Indian government, 
is that you know who is building use cases who actually uses or needs this stuff so i think you know some yeah. of these things around privacy chat uh, notifications you know I, i think building sort of a whole new infrastructure even for finance right i think these are really yeah, cool yeah. stories so, so you guys are sort of the poster children of innovation in woo-hoo. sort of the right sense yeah so actually telling telekana government is doing something like that like when eat india happened back in december and that was the biggest hackathon of ethereum by the way like 20000 people uh, they participated or they wanted to participate but the place could only accommodate 2000 and therefore because it was india 2100 people were admitted but uh, that is the number that we are talking about in terms of innovation and right at the keynote telekana government representative they came in and they are basically creating a sandbox so it's not like that the indian regulations are not moving forward in a positive direction it's just that i think it will take just a little bit time before the tide turns and people basically start going or indian projects start going from dubai back to india yeah so recent yeah. lucas it's a little bit like you know the overreaction we are seeing in the us after the wonderful 9 months of last year uh, so we're seeing some of that in india and worldwide i think that pendulum will swing back to a point but but then i think we need to really talk speaking about of pendulum why does lucas have three pendulums Hey Lucas, why do you have three never pendulums? asked this question before to uh, him because they, he's been through three bear markets. They, they, they are my atomic clocks. I mean, come on, don't <laughs> don't like you know you've got you know there's different times. So there's a story behind these clocks. If you if you if you really really care, um, they all tell the time. Well, that's a start. Um, are they all tell the right time? Yeah, <laughs> which is <laughs> is that a token? <laughs> there is always a token there is always a token <laughs> hey, on that uh, note <laughs> atomic swaps and atomic clocks yeah, atomic breaking change podcast that's right and there should be airdrops <laughs> for the community so richa harsh any final words i think we're coming to the the close of the show we've been here about 70 minutes sure so i mean i'm going to eat tokyo plasma i'm going to be speaking over there so uh we are going to Uh, very very jealous very very jealous yeah, keep going so we are going to launch like an exciting new tool in uh, communication we are calling it it uh, of uh, decentralized social networking uh, that's all i can say before e global or pragma kicks me out from announcing that or the announcing <laughs> that so yeah just just tune But in this was the announcement out. about an announcement thank you yes. for the alpha leak <laughs> <laughs> that was alpha uh, no worries like i and ajit we can just catch up in dubai so i am not there so yeah. we can so richa richa last words uh, give us give us a give us a spiel uh, uh, yeah so i mean like kohash said so alpha is coming this week so uh, april uh, april 13th uh, you know we'll have a, a very cool announcement going out so uh, we're looking forward to that and then um yeah i think the next the next wave of social networking is going to be powered by push so excited about that amazing ris lucas it's another interesting week i guess that's gone by uh always interesting in crypto it, it's never a dull moment um it's quite nice to have you guys on board harsh and risha it's, it's sort of uh, excited to see where where we go in web3 and 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 push um 
I'm sure that uh, it's going to be used by pretty much everyone to annoy Arjit every single day as often as possible. Um, that that obviously is the the chief reason in in the protocol is to annoy that's Arjit. With, wake wake and, people uh, up in the middle yes, of the that's, night. That's that's what we build it. <laughs> yeah, sushi sushi swap router contract has got drugged. So yeah, we're gonna wake you up. That's that sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah. And but, do you want but, to revoke? Least... Yes and no. I, I think yeah. alarm, yeah. basically. It's good. <laughs> And and don't store the yes or no answer on chain so it can be changed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I mean, for people who are listening, they can just go to app.push.org slash chat slash push You guys can do it right now as well. And you have a GPT web three version of GPT right over there. Uh talk with the uh, talk with it. It has a very sarcastic and uh, funny personality. So I hope you guys like that. It is also able to paint in case you are able to give the right command. So you guys can figure that out. Well, you should. That's pretty cool. So, I mean, Lucas, anyway, the, the way you uh, shill push is amazing. And I mean, come on, you don't have any tokens as well. So if you I don't own a well, token. Maybe. I don't own yeah. a token. <laughs> I, I, I'm the biggest crypto skeptic that ever lived. Really? I still yeah. no. I'm lying. No. Of course, I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. He didn't have any of the tokens before the podcast, and now he has them. It's strange. I'm just long. Right. Oh, right. another that's, airdrop. That's good. Anyways, I, yeah. I think this uh, this was a really good show. I send I send I send you I send you some I send you some some I'll airdrop some of these to you just when I um when it's going down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Harsh and Rich, <laughs> thank you. That's very kind. I, I'm not going to be your exit liquidity. I'm your friend. Oh, wait. It's the same thing. Anyways, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Harsh and Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. And, you know, I, I, I think we guys shelled you really well. And you guys uh, told a great story. Uh, so, yeah, I hope, hope to see you again sometime, you know, and enjoy Tokyo. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep shilling and chilling and building. So, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. This was a very interesting podcast, of course, with <laughs> Ajit in the picture and Lucas and it had to be. Uh, yeah. Had a great one. See you guys around. Pleasure. Thanks so much for joining Cheers, us. Cheers, guys. Okay.